fresh and Welcome back to another episode of Fresh and Buds. I'm your host, Tommy Fresh, and you, as always, are all of my buds. And today, I'm joined by a really nice bud. A bud that I've enjoyed the company of many a time, an armory, and, you know, seeing at events, and basically just an all-around great guy. It's Mr. Craig Kremples. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm glad that I'm a happy bud. <laughs> I think there was a point in my life when I was occasionally a toxic bud. And so, you know, like to be called uh, just an enjoyable experience is, is a high compliment. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, you know, toxic is sometimes the outside trying to get in. And it sounds good that the outside's not trying to get in any any more, Craig. Because um, as long as I've known you, you've been you've been pretty awesome. And maybe it's the game, and we'll get to that. Um, you know, it's other games might might breed a little bit more toxicity. Uh, that's not very fair. I think a lot of people have a lot of great <laughs> <laughs> great times in other games, but we're, we'll get all to that. I'm sorry, I digress. You know, um, but we got a great episode for you all today. Oldham has hit living legend. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to get to know Craig. And uh, we're just gonna have a good time. We're gonna settle in, and uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have fun. We're gonna have fun. So before we get to all that, though, I want to shout out the Patreon, which you can find the show notes in the link tree, which uh, helps keep the lights on, the mics hot. It's a great place to support the show and everything we do here. Uh, it's it's uh, it's been been great. Any every little bit's been very helpful, and I'm very glad to have it. And of course, as always, it is not mandatory because guess what? I like to do this because I like to do it. But uh, yeah, check it out if you'd like. Um, and then also uh, give a like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube. Uh, we're trying to build up the YouTube. Once I get to 500 subscribers, I'm going to do a full adult Levia cosplay, <clears throat> which should be just a train wreck. And I cannot wait for everybody to see it. <laughs> uh, my co-host, <laughs> uh, my co-host, Gary on the Bud Rush Bella will be the rabbit that she had to sacrifice to become adult Levia, of course. And we're going to, we're going to have a fun time with that. And <clears throat> it's fun. Speaking of Gary on the Bud Rush Bella, we do that at 930 Eastern. Um, most Wednesdays, next Wednesday, I'll be taking off because I'll be in, on vacation, a uh, much um, needed vacation in Colorado with Lady Fresh. It should be a great time. But uh, every Wednesday, other than that, for the most part, we do it at 9.30 Eastern live, and it's a ton of fun. And uh, I do want to give a shout out to the Buds Discord, where the listener questions come from towards the end of the show. And it's a great place to be. It's a very safe space and, and very open, and we have a lot of great conversations there. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> uh, separate from Flesh and Blood, I reached out to the Buds because uh, my sister and I had not been talking for like two or three months. And I said, hey, listen, I need to make amends. I need help. Buds, please help me. And and they really did. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're talking again, which is great. Look at that. Boom. It's amazing what, what humans can do. So uh, check out the Buds Discord. Shout out to Greg, our producer. Amazing as always. Hey, Tommy, and welcome to the podcast, Craig. Glad that you're able to join us. Um, 
I got my haircut for the the brawl coming up in Pittsburgh this weekend, Tommy. What do you think? Looks stupid. And finally, stick around for a message from Derek Oswald, a.k.a. Charmer, who, um, you know, just just uh, we're going to finally get him on the show this week, I think. So uh, with all that being said, we are going to get into the show right now with Craig Kremples. I know I already asked you how you are, but, you know, how is everything in your life right now? How's, how's like how's life going? Um, I saw your cat right before we we started mm. um, recording. What's your cat's name? Give it give us everything all right so I, I live here with my wife and our two boys <laughs> their their names are hamlet and alistair Ooh. and the one is a purebred siamese that's who you saw yep and the other is a mutt that we adopted and he looks like a siamese but he is definitely not a purebred siamese <laughs> well i mean the siamese was very cute was alistair i saw or you saw hamlet 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 i saw hamlet um, absolutely adorable. We'll see if they make an appearance throughout the show. Uh, probably no, no. They, the, the Siamese cats are very talkative, <laughs> and so if he's in the room with me, he's just going to meow the whole time. Well, that's okay. I mean, we like talkers on the show, right, Craig? <laughs> well, I, you know that I'm. I get a little jealous. I like to be the center of attention, so I've kicked him out of the room, and it's just us. Yeah. Well, hey, listen. Um, I'm glad it's just you and me, Craig, because um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we, we see each other at Armory. Um, and I, I will say that uh, you've been a really cool friend to kind of make in the New Jersey scene. Uh, we, we met, you know, I started going to Flesh and Blood Armories at Highlander up in Booton. And since then, you know, I've started going to the Bearded Dragon in, in Burnsville. See you there. It's always a, a nice face to see. And uh, it's kind of cool. So, you know, for those who, who don't know, you know, you know, I remember seeing Craig on, on Star City Games coverage. So when I, when I came into the Flesh and Blood world and I saw Craig, I was like, oh, this guy. I know this guy playing flesh and blood it's pretty cool and also it's like i got like uh, i got uh, maybe i'll try to beat this guy and you handily spanked me for <laughs> for quite a few months but i do remember my first win against you craig uh which i'm sure you don't remember but i will tell you i remember my first win against you was at a skirmish and um i i did not top eight that skirmish but i did Beat you, Craig. And I don't want to. This was not the plan to bring you on here to just <laughs> embarrass you. You know, <laughs> it was it was a limited skirmish. Tales of Aria. I beat you with Oldham. Uh, I think. Yeah, it was Oldham. And you were on Briar. And uh, it was a very close game. And I don't I don't know how I won. I don't know if I can go back and even think about how I won. But I remember winning. And you were obviously a really good, good sport about it. But uh, it was like, OK. Okay, maybe I know how to play this game because, you know, I look at you as a great card gamer from Games Pass, which we'll get into. And uh, it was kind of my, like, not, it was like a nice little checkpoint in my flesh and blood experience that, uh, you know, I I could at least go toe-to-toe with someone like Craig Kremples. So, um, I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember that? Do you remember losing to me, Craig? <laughs> I like this line of questioning here. Um, 
I, I vaguely remember it. I, I appreciate that you say that I was a good sport because I am ultra competitive and I do not like losing. Sure. And I often try very hard to make sure my opponent knows that I'm not upset with them. You know, like, I think it's awesome that you beat me. That's good. But I'm also equally unhappy that I lost at the same time. <laughs> well, actually, I, I will say that was something that was impressive to me because that messaging came through. Right. I certainly could tell you're upset. Like, I'm, like no, nobody likes to lose. Right. And and I could tell you were like upset that you lost, but you didn't like you didn't like try to like, I don't know, get super super aggressive with me or anything like that you're like good game and you just seem like distressed about it and and <laughs> i was sure. like i felt like the need to say sorry and i don't think i don't i didn't no, say no, sorry no, no, no. yeah no, <laughs> but no, no, no. but it, it but it was i think that is a good way to kind of be right because i think it's okay to be upset when you lose right because yeah it, i i think there's levels and um that's definitely something that i've learned and worked on with myself over time mm -hmm. is you know having expectations for myself going into events and then also understanding what level that event's at right where it's like a local armory listen we, we can all just go and win or lose have a good time right yeah go to the pro tour if you've worked really hard and you've put in the time you want to pick up those wins and each loss can be kind of devastating yeah yeah. Um, but the, the flip side of that is, you know, we're just at the heels of the last pro tour. I went eight and eight. Mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds right. And I can tell you, I did not have the time and the preparation put into that event. And going in, I had to like basically tell myself that, that my expectation was relatively low because yeah. I, I knew that I just hadn't put in the amount of time that it takes to excel at that level. Yeah, and 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 recognizing that is pretty important, right? Because I think it's so easy to get lost into to the the flurry of a huge tournament like that, right? But yeah, recognizing the the differences in preparation and and stuff like that is is pretty important, right? Because you know you earned your spot into the pro tour for sure, no doubt. Um, maybe you didn't have the time. We all have lives. Nobody can make a living off this game yet, unless you're like Michael Hamilton, right? Like, there's very few people who can do this uh, full time. We all have lives, we have jobs, and you know, maybe maybe your your life and job was more demanding, and you recognize that uh, as as opposed to someone who maybe does have all those other things, but was able to commit more time, and that's important. You know, if you lose, right? And eight and eight is not. It's not it's not a losing record. It's not a winning record either, right? <laughs> it's 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 certainly um a valiant try at being in the pro tour among the best players in the world. So I got to say it's awesome that you can recognize that and also recognize the differences in in um what you're doing at the armory level, skirmish level, etc. So before we get back to flesh and blood, I do want to get a little bit of your background, Craig, because you've sure. been in this game or you've been in trading card games for a very, very long time. And you have a very rich history. We even were talking the other day about something you were chatting about playing magic when you're like 15. Right. So when did trading cards come into your life? 
Okay, so for me, it started very early on with sports cards. And so before I could drive, uh, I would get a ride to the local card store with my brother and we would buy packs of, let me think, like 89 upper deck trying to get that Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Now, your sports card fans out there are going to know what that is. But anyway, um, then when we got a little bit older, we would ride our bikes into the town by ourselves. And a new card store opened up. We would ride there and we'd buy some sports cards. And the one day I went in and people are playing a game with cards. And it was just like, well, what's this? And like, oh, it's magic. And I'm like, oh, tell me about magic, because I'm just used to putting my sports cards know in a binder and then they just stay there forever and i was already into the fantasy thing i like reading the Dragonlance books um uh you know we played final fantasy a lot there's you know a lot of the fantasy background so i, I just started playing magic that way yeah and magic i'm mean, so magic was the the first well i guess it's probably the first as far as i know the first huge trading card game that was played competitively. Now, you certainly had a competitive history with Magic. Um, what was what was the catalyst there? So you, you started playing the game, right? You learned about it. You saw it at these, at these stores. What kind of goaded young Craig into that, that world? Um, so I had an older brother. And he beat me at everything, 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 everything. He wasn't that nurturing, loving older brother that <laughs> wants you to feel good about yourself. He made me earn every little victory that I got along the way. And so when I started playing magic, it didn't matter that I was younger or that I was smaller or that I was weaker. And so it, it really fed into that competitive part of me that wanted to prove myself, that wanted to beat everyone, that wanted a pecking order. So those types of things um you know there's a lot of good things there and there's also a few bad aspects there where you, you know it, it fed into my insecurities and stuff like that but i can tell you around that time there was a ton of really really smart talented gamers who were basically on my level and so once i started meeting up with these people and making friends it was just a whole network of of people trying to improve trying to do better and, and working together to, to accomplish these really lofty goals. Now, um, what, what like time period was, was this like, what, how big was magic on, on the scale that it is now comparatively um, at the time that you kind of got into the game and started actually committing yourself to the competitive aspect? So initially, when I started playing, I was in middle school, probably seventh or eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And I just played very casually with my older brother, some of his friends, a couple of the other kids in the neighborhood. Um, and it definitely wasn't until maybe junior year of high school, maybe sophomore year. Uh, there were a couple of kids that came to the local game store for the tournament on Thursdays, and they won almost every single week. And so even while I was playing my games, I kept one eye on them to see what they were doing. And then during the week, I would go and try to trade for all of the cards that I saw that they were playing. 
And then the next week I would have a deck that was closer to what they were doing. And, you know, just keep repeating that cycle until they noticed me. And they were like, hey, wait, wait a second. What, when did you get these cards? And <laughs> how did you come up with this deck? And like, what are you doing? And, and that was the point where those kids started driving me to other tournaments to play, you know, four or five nights a week. So re- really got into it, you know, maybe my senior year of high school. Now, it's interesting that you say that, right? You you were witnessing decks, right? And witnessing the cards that, that folks were using, uh, which is a, a concept that I think is probably going to be lost on a lot of people, right? Because <laughs> because we we've, for a very long time, when I first started playing Magic, I think 2009, um people talked about net deckers, right? You know, but there wasn't that many resources still uh, compared to now. Um, you know, even, even like even flesh and blood currently has more resources than, than magic did at that time. Yep. Um, what, um, so like, what do you ever kind of look back on the days kind of before net decking and just like figuring things out with like, uh, some, some, Hint of nostalgia and almost longing to go back to that. Yeah, I mean, it was fun brewing back in the day. I, I still do some of that now. Mm-hmm. Um, where I want to try a uh, wacky idea. I have certain cards that I really like. Um, and back then, especially when it was not ultra competitive, you could do lots of different things and have some amount of success. Yeah, and that is probably, you know, captures the imagination a bit, right? And 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 certainly there was a little bit of that right in the beginning of Flesh and Blood, right? Where where people were just understanding this game and and kind of like feeling out well, what what cool things can I do? It's very it felt it felt very on rails, but then there was things that were like, well, I mean, this card completely changes the way you play the game, uh which which is very neat. Now, <clears throat> you you were you, because you, you live in New Jersey currently, were you, were you a New Jersey kid playing Magic? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, technically I was born in California, mm-hmm. but I, I lived in New Jersey from the time I was three years old. And so basically my whole life has been in New Jersey with a few stops here and there along the way. Yeah, and what was the the magic scene like in new jersey as as like a teen and then like as a young adult dude it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> i enjoyed it so much i mean i had a group of friends and like i said we we would carpool to all of the events that we could um once we were old enough to to have some financial independence and and be responsible enough we started carpooling to Grand Prix all over the East Coast. We would go to, you know, Detroit, Chicago, uh, Baltimore, you know, all the way down to Florida sometimes. It was it was just an absolute blast just road tripping with your friends. And, you know, we, we would kind of take care of each other where whoever had done well the most recently in the tournament would kind of pick up more of the bills. <laughs> and, you know, it was tons of fun. There was a little bit of rivalries going on where, the New Jersey scene was pretty big, but also the New England scene had their own group of, of your move games players. And so there was some some rivalry there and that type of stuff was just great. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, right? Like it felt like 
every region, and, and we're almost getting that now in flesh and blood to a certain extent. Obviously, there's some some pockets that are a little bit more prominent than others. But like I remember when I played Magic, that because I was playing in Pennsylvania, I li- I lived in New Jersey, but the closest LGS was in Pennsylvania, so I got a lot of the the Philly scene, uh, you know, people and 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 stuff like that. What, are there any kind of prominent New Jersey players that that folks might might know of now, or even through Flesh and Blood now? I mean, the, the list would be rather long, mm-hmm. and a lot of them. It, it's funny because the one time I I was doing something else, and I was like, man, I really need to thank so many people for just you know where I've ended up in my life and the successes I've had along the way, and I started making this list, and it was so long that like I couldn't use it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, I, I can't, I, I don't want to list some people and leave some people out. Sure. And if I list everyone, it's going to be 30 or 40 names. So it's just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, yeah, there were definitely tons and tons of really talented people that I played with along the way. Um, I can tell you initially it was John Sani who started driving me around to events. He's a couple of years older than me. Um, so he had a, a car and a license and he knew all of the scenes. Uh, and you know, this is before I could even drive. I remember my parents had to like meet him because he's <laughs> someone I talked about all the time, but I only ever saw him at the local game store. So they weren't sure who the heck I was talking about. And suddenly this person was going to just pick me up at my house and start driving me around places, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And then there was a bunch of target players in there. Um, Patrick Sullivan and Eugene Harvey and, and just a, a whole mess of, of just really talented people along the way and i never would have had any success if i didn't have that group of people to, to help me uh you know learn the game and do better yeah and uh that that's a um a store name i haven't thought about in a hot minute uh target which you know I, i'm assuming you're, you're you're speaking of the only game in town in somerville new jersey um yep which unfortunately <laughs> the name does not fit it anymore because it is not COVID kind of put the, uh, the kibosh on that store. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to make a comeback. I hope it does, but I believe they closed their doors uh, permanently, but um, it's kind of cool to hear that. Right. You know, I, I think uh, something that I found about New Jersey through flesh and blood was uh, that the card gamers are close knit, Right. They are um, uh, very, you know, you hear about people, you know, let's say, let's say we're at Booten, right? Highlander. Uh, You mentioned, uh, you know, some, some great buds, Dana and Connor, right? They're always at a ton of events. You mentioned their names and they don't live anywhere close to Booten. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I was talking to Dana and Connor. Oh yeah, 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 Dana and Connor, which is, which is very cool. And uh, I, I, I just kind of love that. Now, in 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 your days of magic, were there any personal highlights or even professional highlights that that you kind of look back at and and in fondness? Well, of course, the, all the big successes, right? So, I remember a bunch of the other guys around me were starting to do well. They they were top eating Grand Prix, they were qualifying for Pro Tours, some of them were top eating Pro Tours and winning them, and it was just like, awesome, but I was also a few steps behind them at that point, 
and I was getting really frustrated. And I was just like, what the heck? Like, I play with you guys all the time. I go toe to toe with you guys all the time. Like, I know that I can be on that level and I keep just just coming up short. And I, I just hit this this tipping point or, or just things just kind of all coalesced at the right time. And I made two Grand Prix top eights and I won U.S. Nationals. And I did pretty well on a couple of pro tours all in the same season, all in the same year. And it put me on the gravy train. You're familiar with this term? <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, I love okay, gravy. For those who don't know, it's, it's when you accumulate enough pro points in events to not have to play in qualifiers anymore. And you just keep qualifying for the next pro tour based off of how well you did in the previous one. Mm-hmm. And once I hit that tipping point, I played in almost zero qualifiers again because i just kept doing well enough in pro tours and so i think back to just like like this this frustrated struggling craig and then like the suddenly successful craig and it it, i don't know it was just like a a switch got flipped it happened like kind of quick and i didn't even realize it at the time and then looking back it was just like oh like wow like suddenly i got a pile of pro points and after i won U.S. Nationals, this brand new game was started, Versus System, and they had some qualifiers, but I was spending so much time playing from Magic events that I didn't have time to play in any of the qualifiers. And they were inviting some people based off of just status, basically. So after I won U.S. Nats, I was like, hey, I'd love to play in your Pro Tour. And they were like, yeah, of course, we'd love to have you. I went to the first Versus System Pro Tour, and I made top eight of that. And so it was just like all of this success just kind of happened in, in a, a pretty tight time frame. Mm-hmm. And so I just look back at that period of my life where I was both like successful and financially comfortable and like very satisfied. And it was just like, yeah, that was a great spot. Everything was coming up crumples that that yeah. time. And, and uh, well, that's pretty cool, right? Like and, and it's nice. It gets like a little bit of a confidence booster, right? Because then, you know, it's possible. Right. Because you, you know that you can do it. Right. And and um, uh, that's pretty awesome. Now, at what point now I mentioned at the top of the show that I, I knew you from from Star City Games coverage of, of old Magic 5Ks, et cetera. They're, uh, I think they had the SCG Invitational and stuff like that. What at what point did you end up in the booth? That's a, a good bit later. Mm-hmm. You got to understand I'm an old old man at this point in my life i thought we were the same um, age craig i'm 41 what, what do you got over there 31 i think that's yeah close yeah basically the same thing right yeah. that that 10 years it, it doesn't sound like a lot but it's a lot um so the the coverage story is a little bit funny because patrick and cedric were basically doing all of the shows at the time and they traveled a ton doing the shows and they would know always be exhausted at the end of the weekend from from the amount of work that you have to do at them uh and patrick basically made this announcement that he was gonna take some time and step away and he wasn't sure when he was going to be back and i knew cedric i'd always been friends with patrick i knew cedric i lived in indianapolis for about a year and he would come to the house that i lived at with a bunch of gamers and he'd stay with us for extended periods of time and so I knew Cedric pretty well. We also battled a lot in our heydays at all these Grand Prix and stuff. Um, 
So I reached out to Cedric and I was just like, hey, man, like, I don't know what the process is for this, but I'd be interested in working with you. I'd love the opportunity. And I want to say that this is in, I don't know, maybe October. And his response was just like, oh, hey, Craig, like, I'll, I'll give it some consideration and get back to you. In December, he was like, hey, I've got a show in two weeks. Do you want to work with me? And it was just like, uh, I haven't heard from you in two months. Like, I, I was not prepared <laughs> for that at all. You know, like, it, it just like came out of left field. And I was like, yes, I do want to work with you. What do I need to do? And he's like, just show up, you know, like, like, I, I think back to those first couple of shows that I did where I'm like super nervous and you stutter a little bit and like you, you get the deer in the headlights look and he just, just very smoothly just kept the show going and, and led me by the hand to the, another subject, another topic. And, you know, it, it was it was great working with him in the beginning and then it just got better and better as I got better at it. Yeah, and and that was always something that I looked at right when I when I would watch magic coverage and and you know obviously I re I really enjoyed folks like uh, Marshall Sutcliffe and 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 that crew and then obviously the SCG crew Cedric and yourself like I was very familiar with both of you and and uh, you know I don't know when I tuned in if if those times were in the first couple times right I don't know the timeline and I don't really remember either but you always seem like a, a, a great professional and and uh, it it was it was very cool and you know it, it was one of the things that when when I started going to like I said in the beginning, when I started going to uh, armories, I was, I was, you know, I don't, Craig, don't get too big of a head here, but I got a little starstruck. <laughs> I was like, well, Craig Krempels is in the house. It was like, you know, it was very cool. I, I thought it was awesome, and I felt, uh, I also was like a little bit of a confirmation that that Flesh and Blood was a good game because you know, you, you know, I trusted your opinion, uh, which was, which was, um, as, as far as you didn't know that at the time, but now you know. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, which is it's just fun. Now, speaking of flesh and blood, uh, when did that come into Craig Kremples' life? Oh, man. So it was definitely just coming out of COVID and, you know, everyone's just jonesing for something to do with their time, right? Like we've all just been indoors away from people for like two straight years. Mm -hmm. And so flesh and blood was one of the first games that was like hey we, we have it we've got a tournament structure like we're gonna tell you guys that there's a pro tour there's qualifiers like we're doing this you know and, and they were the first ones to basically hit the pavement and be out there doing it and so a couple of the local buddies that i played other games with um the most recent one was the the world of warcraft dcg you know we used to play that before it went under they, they reached out and they're like craig like there's this game flesh and blood and we're gonna we're gonna start playing do you want to meet us at the store and i had already heard a few things about it here and there through the magic community and i was like yeah let's let's figure this out and so we started showing up to the store and i lost every game i played for two straight months because <laughs> that's kind of how the game goes it's, it's really tough and for someone like me who's been successful at the highest level of every game i've ever played like, I did not think it was going to take me that long to to figure it out and get it, but it did. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, I got we got to give a shout out to Jim Canzolka, who who was on the show, who who he played with WoW TCG player as well. Um, uh, you know, what were you, like? Obviously, your initial impressions of the game was like, well, it's tough, right? You've been you were losing, uh, you know, like a lot of us have in in the first couple months plus of playing the game. Uh, besides that, what was your take on the game? Like, how did you feel about the design? Did you did you have any qualms or, or issues? So, it's a little bit interesting because, to me, it is just kind of the next step. This game, the, the resource system, mm-hmm. is something that's been explored a little bit in other games where it's like, oh, every card can be used as a resource, right? Sure. But here, it's like every card can be used as one, two, or three resources. It's it's just like, it, it wasn't completely revolutionary to me, but it was enough ahead of the other games. That I was like, wow, this is, this is different. This is interesting. There's a lot going on here. Um, from, you know, maybe from a, a little more critical of a standpoint, I wish that there were beginner decks that started with zero equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the barriers to getting even learn the game is that you're just overwhelmed when you sit down to play by the amount of information that's in front of you. Okay. And I think just just a starter deck where it's like, hey, play your first four games with no equipment so that you can just focus on the four cards in your hand and your weapon. Those are the only decisions that you get, right? Yeah. And then it's just like after four games, you feel a little more comfortable add those four pieces of equipment like let's let's really get this going crazy right <laughs> yeah. well that's it i've never actually heard that kind of side of the argument for for starting the game right um and it is interesting like it's and it's true right we have so much information and i mean how often do we see people blocking correctly with with equipment they're like oh well i have it now i just should just do it right i mean that's how a lot of people just when they first start playing the game, just like, well, I have it. Let's 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 do this and try to have a great turn with what's in my hand, and uh, that that's really interesting. And and, and uh, <clears throat> LSS, if you're listening, and we know you are, right, Craig? Uh, oh, I'm sure they tune in. They tune in every week. <laughs> yep. Uh, take Craig's advice there. Um, now we we talked about you being in the booth for Magic. Now you you got the opportunity to be in the booth for Flesh and Blood as well. Um, how was that experience? And, and are, are, would you, would you be interested in hopping in the booth again? Dude, I love it. So a, a little background there. When, when Patrick was coming back to do coverage, they were going to rearrange the teams a little bit. And Brian Gottlieb had been working with, oh shoot. I can't believe I drew a blank here. It's all good. Oh no, it's not. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, Brian Gottlieb had been working with someone else, and, um, oh, it's killing me. Jerry T. I'm sorry. Jerry Thompson. Jerry Thompson. Yep. Yes, and, and uh, Jerry Thompson, I, I believe, did not want to do the coverage anymore. It just mm-hmm. wasn't his thing. And so I ended up working with Brian, and it's funny because it's a whole new, whole new process, right? You're feeling this out with someone who you haven't worked with before, and in a lot of ways... Brian did even more of the heavy lifting than Cedric did, where he would cover basically all the ad reads and, and 
you know, just just be able to talk about anything and everything if I didn't have any input in, in those situations. And so I, I quickly became friends with Brian, who's obviously now intimately involved with Hush and Blood. Mm -hmm. And so I don't remember if, if I reached out or if Brian had asked me about it, but for, for one of the callings I was supposed to do coverage, I ended up getting COVID. Obviously didn't go to the event, didn't do coverage, and I was afraid that I had lost my opportunity. Well, before the Pro Tour in France, Brian got COVID, and I reached out, and I was just like, hey, like, I'm already booked for this trip. I'm qualified. I'm going to play, but if, I'm gonna, if I can do coverage again, I'd like to do that coverage instead. So I ended up doing coverage for that event. I had an absolute blast. I really enjoyed all the people that I worked with. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed France so much. I enjoyed that Pro Tour so much. It was a really great time. I would love to do it again. But uh, the flip side of this is that there's a ton of just really dedicated and great content creators. Mm -hmm. And you know, people know their voice and recognize their face. And, and I think they want to see those people that they know and recognize. And so that the, those content creators often get the first nod when it comes to doing coverage. And I understand that. Yeah. And you know, um, but that, but that's not to say that there isn't room for, for someone like yourself, uh, who obviously brings a lot to the table and a lot of experience to the table. And, um, you know, and I understand, you know, you know, a lot of help my friends do great coverage, but you know, uh, it's, I'm hoping that we get to a point where that can be like, we, we don't just have the same group always doing it. Like I, it was the nice thing about magic, right? Like there, like whether it was a certain kind of event, we had this group and whether it was like, like uh, that circuit, we had another group. And, and, and I think that's ideally where we want to get to with flesh and blood. Now you mentioned that you were qualified for, for France. And obviously we talked about, you played at a high level and, every other game and now you're doing so in flesh and blood now how have the experiences compared playing at the high level of flesh and blood compared to you know um versus system and, and magic um so i can tell you this game is is more difficult than some of those other games mm -hmm. and so i think it, it takes a, a certain type of person to consistently qualify or the flesh and blood pro tours. And so when you're playing at the pro tour, it's, it's a really tough field. It is, is really hard competition. You, you know, you might get a, what would I call first timers or a couple of people who aren't as serious, mm -hmm. but by and large, most of those people are very good and they play a lot of hours of the game and they know what they're doing. And that's not to say that I was going to pro tours for magic and no one knew what they were doing, but it was just a, a little bit softer back in my day. And there was, I think there was a, a little more opportunity for an edge when, especially back when I played magic and I was on one of the better teams. Mm -hmm. And so I had better, some of the better players around me helping me have the best deck in the room. And now it just feels like it's very hard to be in that same situation when I'm playing flesh and blood. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you had the best resources, right. And, and flesh and blood, I don't know if any team has the best resources, right? I think everybody's really 
I, it feels to me as an outsider that you know there's certain there's certain teams that like certainly have some great players and and they're really hitting the ground hard, but th- maybe the Wolfpack is is currently the one that people are talking about being one of the best, but it could very well change the next large tournament. I feel like, and and that speaks to the difficulty of the game how it changes based on the meta, right? You know, I felt, uh, you know, Pro Tour Baltimore might might not have been a Michael Hamilton meta, right? And Michael Hamilton, we, we didn't, you know, obviously great at the game, seem at the top tables a lot, but that was not his tournament to win. Uh, it was Michael Fang's tournament to win, who plays with us locally as well. Um, it's like we have a lot of great players in New Jersey. Um, but we really do. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Um, <laughs> uh, but armories are still fun, I swear. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Now, um, as someone who's played a high level of the game and has also been in the booth of the game, what are some things that you'd like to see LSS possibly enhance from both the coverage side of the game and the actual game side of the game. Yeah. So that's my answer is a little bit skewed because I am so competitive. I'm such a big spike. It's like, I, I want to see technically great people in the booth mm-hmm. who understand the game at my level or better. Right. But I, I don't think the average viewer is looking for that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, from a more broad standpoint, I'd like some diversity in the booth. Sure. Um, you know, it, when I tune in for coverage and it's like, you know, it, it's it's four middle-aged white guys that are, you know, have beards and it might be a little bit overweight. And it's just like, yeah, the, the, these guys are great personalities, but also, I don't know, let's get some more representation out there, right? Sure, sure. So that's something that I would like to see. Yeah, and... uh you know, I think we we can definitely start to make the the move there. I know that in the well, the calling Antwerp, which we're going to talk about in a few, we had a, a, a few women casters on, which is which is a nice change of pace. And um, I think I think we can all agree that that more diversity and representation in this game is is a net positive because well, we want more people playing the game, right? We like the game, we want more people playing it. Uh, there's only a certain amount of us, right? <laughs> you know, there there are plenty of other people, and uh, you know that that's a great point. Now, uh, what about the game side? Uh, whether it's organized play or or just design in general? That one's a little tougher. Um, it, it is it is such a task, and I I will admit immediately that I was a pretty big cynic when I first started playing the game. Because I feel like Flesh and Blood is impossible to balance because certain aspects of it are such severe tipping points between a card being unplayable and a card being overpowered. Mm-hmm. Whether it's it's the pitch cost being one more, whether it blocks for two or three, whether it attacks for five or six, like these are huge changes within the, the game. And you they only have these little tiny bits to work with, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've Honestly, I've been very impressed. Just each new set that comes out, I'm like, well, this this is the one that's going to just just bury it, right? Like, this is going to be another Starvo, and there's only going to be one deck. 
and it's just like no there's there's four or five like competitive decks and then if people still want to play the tier two decks there's another four or five decks down there that they could be playing and i don't know i i think that's great yeah it is and um you know people are quick to complain i don't know if you ever noticed that uh <laughs> on the internet uh but you know and we're going to get to oldham in a hot, a hot second after we do the fresh faves and and uh you know we'll just we'll discuss whether it was a a check and balance in in the meta but uh that is that is a great point right because i mean starvo was starvo was starvo and i think we can all agree that right let's just forget it happened until the living legend format when we're going to remember it again uh and <laughs> But, you know, everybody thought Azalea was just going to be the best deck and was going to be unbeatable with Outsiders, and it wasn't. And uh, maybe Azuri. And, you know, Phi had needed some checks and balances applied to it. But, uh, you know, Icelander really is a great deck. Maybe got a, lo a, a, a little bit of a nerf, but all of a sudden it's kind of not non-existent, but not really seen as as much as we thought it would like as compared to its prior dominance so you know the things it feels like it goes up and down and and like you said i i don't know how they balance it i guess it's not our job to it's our job to talk about it but you know but it, it's uh it's interesting now let's get to the nitty-gritty of the game craig uh next we have a segment i like to call the fresh faves where i'm going to ask you a little bit of your favorites in the game um which hopefully you answer are you ready these are the important questions right these are your most important questions is what the people look forward to and <laughs> you know what is craig kremple's favorite hero first craig okay so when we first started playing in the competitive events it was that first uh rtn season and mike and i worked mike dalton and i worked a lot on an OTK Viscerai deck. And Viscerai still just holds a, a close place in my heart uh, just because that was the first hero that I really put in a lot of time and, and you know, just combing through every possible card and thinking about matchups and different situations. And so, I don't know, Viscerai is, is a blast to play. It's a very versatile hero where it can be very aggressive or very defensive. And, I don't know, just... Just being like one of the original ones that I, I really poured myself into means that Viscera is always going to have a place in Craig's heart. Yeah, and it always somehow ekes back into the conversation, you know, when you least expect it, and then uh, and then disappears. And maybe <laughs> it'll become Dust of Dawn's getting Runeblade support, so we'll see what yeah. happens. Uh, what's your favorite weapon? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite weapon uh it might have been winter's whale but to me that's also a kind of a stupid answer because it's just like one of the best weapons right it was very good <laughs> yeah it's just like oh like it's always a three for four and sometimes it brings the ice along with it and it's at a break point and it's just like wow th this stupid one-handed weapon just does freaking everything huh <laughs> It was brutal, man. It was brutal to play. Like, I don't know. Like, when, when I play against Titan's Fist now, I just think, like, it just blows my mind that that used to have a, a frostbite tucked under it. Yeah. 
pretty pretty wild. Is but is that your final answer? Yeah, we'll go with Winter's Whale. That's a good answer. I do like Winter's Whale. It's a very cool looking card, and it's got a great effect. Um, what's your favorite equipment? All right, along a similar vein, I think Crown of Seeds is probably my favorite equipment. Interesting. I, I really like how it's an equipment that you get to use every single turn. Mm-hmm. Like it's always there for you to do something. Um, what you're doing is just like very different. There's no other card that really plays on that same axis in the game. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's similar to Winter's Whale, where it's just like what you're doing is actually quite unfair and, and a little bit broken within the game engine. Yeah. Um, if I was going to go way more fair, it'd probably be time skippers. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Where it, it's the same thing where it's just like, I want to do something unfair for one turn, but I'm going to pay a pretty steep cost in order to do it. And it's just like, to me, that is such a well-balanced card where it's just like, yeah, you know, you, you, you do get to like really go into the tank, like real deep and, and be like, what can I do with this? Like there's, <laughs> there's gotta be some things, right? Yeah. But it, it, it's a steep deck building restriction when you're trying to do that. Now I'll tell you what, I thought that your answer was going to be based on your first answer was going to be blood. She skeleton. Um, Dude, that, that card is too unfair. That like, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you get to block for two at one point, and yeah. then later in the game you get to use it to just instantly kill your opponent <laughs> to win. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what is going on with this card? Yeah. Well, I know we have some listeners going to be upset that we're speaking the truth here, um, but yeah, dude, I, I, I was doing it. I was one of the people out there doing it, so uh, it's not like I, I fault anyone. Yeah. But I, I knew what I was doing was not fair the whole time. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I think a lot of folks are looking forward to when Viscera LLs, and I think it gets off suspension, which should be interesting. Um, whatever that means. Uh, now, what's your favorite? Uh, you know, your your other you know, your run of the mill cards that you put in your deck: non attack actions, attack actions, instance. So I. Um... I was thinking about this, and um, there's a wild... I'm forgetting the name, but there's this wild attack when from one of the early sets that gives you an action point when it's it's put into a zone from your deck. Oh, uh, back alley break line or something like that. The one that gets put face up into your arsenal, you get an action point. Well, it doesn't have to be to your arsenal. Oh, really? It just has to be revealed? Oh, my God. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, look this bad boy up. Make sure that I'm not misspeaking here. But it's cards like that, which are like very corner case, but have the possibility of potentially being a problem later. Back alley break line. Uh, The red is one for five blocks, two. If an activated ability or action card effect puts it face up into a zone, from your yeah into a zone from your deck gain one action point like these are the type of things that intrigue me where i'm like hmm like what what can we do with this thing right and every new set that comes out i just have like one eye that's like looking for something that's gonna put that you know you'll banish it from my library or something where i'm like hmm like i'm just waiting for this card to like 
have have a breakout. But then you obviously you also need something to do with this extra action point that you're getting along the way. Yeah. Wow. I want to look at you. See now the gears are turning. <laughs> I want to play Levio with this card. Um, geez. <laughs> Well, I got some stuff to do later after the show, but uh, that's a great answer. Actually, it's the first time we ever got that card, which is which is very cool. Um, awesome, awesome. That was the fresh faves, and now we're going to talk a little bit about Oldham, right? You played a decent amount of Oldham, right, Craig? I uh, did. And finally, the old man has hit living legends this weekend in Antwerp, in Belgium, I believe. Pablo Pintor, who once again has laid a hero to rest with a huge calling win with the old man. So uh, Pablo famously uh, won Pro Tour 1 with Chain, putting Chain to rest, uh, and now has won the calling Antwerp with with Oldham, putting Oldham to rest. Uh, He is going to be known as a hero killer for a hot minute. Now, I I do want to shout out real quick Dagan White, who's who's a good bud, uh, he was on the show um, back a little bit when when Oldham actually right before Oldham got his or actually we had Dagan on when Oldham got the the ban announcement when Winter's Whale was banned and 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 all these other fun things uh, and I asked the question will Oldham lap Briar right in the Living Legend points. And um, Dagan, I believe, and folks can look back uh, if they want, uh, said no. And Dagan, <laughs> you're if trying you're, to keep score here. I see what's going on. Dagan, I just want to say, um, you know, I love you, but I think you were wrong because old the old man has lapped Briar. Although Briar still has a chance of, of hitting LL before before the, the the living legend takes place. Now, um, made it about one point five years, right? One and a half years in CC. Uh, based on Tales of Aria, uh, slightly less in Blitz for Oldham. Uh, do you think this is a good amount of time for a hero to be legal? Yeah, yeah. I think you want you want your heroes to stick around for more than a year, right? Yeah. You don't want the players to feel like they've got to buy all of these legendaries and learn the hero, and then you know it, it's if it gets retired before a year or around a year, it means that it was way too good. Mm-hmm. It's winning all of the events. You can't really play a lot of other heroes because this one hero is so good. Um, but it also means that suddenly people lose all this value because now they just have legendaries that are specific to a hero they can't play anymore. So definitely one and a half, maybe two years of having a hero be good but not oppressive it is probably a pretty nice sweet spot where you know it, it helps define the metagame along the way. But there's also other decks in there that are doing well and winning enough to where you know, it, it keeps it balanced. Yeah, for sure. And uh, but with that being said, would we we have a lot of the original heroes, right? And obviously they weren't going to hit LOL like as as more complex heroes kind of came out with with higher power levels, um, and they've been in the game for as long as the game's been around. Would do you think? possibly two years is is where we want to be right one and a half years is it feels good right i think that was kind of around where chain and prism were at right uh to my memory and um do you think a little bit longer or or or, or is this fine is this like totally fine let's let's not let's not panic or anything like that 
Well, like I said, one and a half to two years, yeah. I, I think, is a, a pretty good time frame where, um, you know, if, if it's taking longer than that, obviously it means the hero is not winning enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's going to be better heroes and worse heroes. It, it's it, it's never going to be perfectly balanced, right? Yeah. And it's almost good to have a couple of heroes that are better so people know what the established metagame is, what they're expecting for events. Sure. Um but less time than that, I, I think it's just too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like Oldham is me good. I want to give another shout out to LSS because I think that they've they do such a good job with the bands where they use a very light touch. Yeah, and I I actually appreciate when they're like, hey, we're gonna ban a common, and it's definitely not the best card in the deck, but it's a good card in the deck, and we're just trying to bring the deck back. Just a little bit. And I don't know, Oldham, I, I'm not surprised that it hit Living Legend right around now. Even after the last bands, um, the deck was doing so well. And it, it's such a versatile deck where it can be very aggressive or very defensive mm-hmm. all within the same game. Um, yeah. Has more card velocity than almost any other deck and just it blocks so well when it's not attacking well i don't know the deck just did a bit of everything very very well it had a great weapon and then you also got to have an offhand shield and the shield can either be your defensive shield where you're using it every single turn or it can be your aggressive shield where you get to preserve your hand and only block with that shield a couple times and it's just like crown of siege we already talked about and there's (laughs) just so many good cards here right yeah yeah and it's certainly and like I do want to touch on the fact that you said that like the light touch, right? Uh, and how you appreciate that, and I think that folks should appreciate that a little bit more because I don't think we want full nerfs, right? Um, like when when we have a ban announcement, and you know, I think maybe it felt like a full nerf when Seeds of Agony was banned, right? Uh, because the deck totally fell off, but then all of a sudden the deck was still good. I think I think folks just kind of gave up on it. It's still early in the game. Competitive scenes were still figuring it out. Um, now, in terms of Oldham and what Oldham was, was there anything that maybe, if you were on the design team, that you would have changed about them? Oof, that's a tough question, because I, I think it's it's easier to look in hindsight than it is to, to develop and know what the future is going to be like. Sure. And I am, I'm not a game designer. Um, I do have these discussions with my circle of friends sometimes like, Oh, what, what could have been different? What would have been better? Um, and I think we see a bit of that with their light touch bannings. Um, something like pulse of Eisenloft where they're just like, Oh, this card all right, it's just too good. Like you, you only got one of it, but every time it comes up, it's like way, way too good. Game changing. And, well, and, and the deck's trying to go to second, third cycle, so you you just start seeing this card over and over, and it's just like, oh, what have we done here? <laughs> right? Like we've gone too far with this one. Yeah. So, so something like that, I think, is easy to call out. Um, but the flip side of this is, every time you come out with a new hero. You want it to be exciting. You want it to see play. And and so I, I think it's 
it's easy to have something like Winter's Whale, where it's just like, all right, maybe this this hammer was a little too good, but also we wanted to have that assurance that like this hero had had game into everything, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, and let's be honest, it it made sense from a a broad stroke design approach right we had anathos with with bravo which cared about what you pitched to play it to get the buff that you wanted and it literally did the same thing just a different buff um Mm -hmm. and and that is kind of a it's a tight line to walk because you want those kind of consistencies in design and and yeah and like you said you want it to be exciting now you know we still have a few more weeks with Oldham. It doesn't feel like it, but we do. And um, with Dust Till Dawn coming out, everything's going to change, right? That's when the Living Legend will kind of go into effect, and and we're going to have a whole slew of, of new cards to to mess around with and 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 um, start playing Leviathan with. Uh, and if I wanted to ask you, if legality changed today, right? And we had these last few weeks of Road to Nats without Oldham. Uh, which decks do you think would rise to the top? Uh, so I think the decks that we just saw be the most successful at the last Pro Tour are the easy starting points. Um, so so Lexi and Dromai, I think, are the, are the two other decks other than Oldham that are really like the standouts as the, the pillars of the format right now. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that Dromai is getting built better and better and played better and better to have a game against Lexi. And so it potentially... One of the things that Oldham did very well was sit in the middle of these two decks where it could, you know, out-control the Dromai deck, but also, you know, absorb all of the aggro from the Lexi deck. And it didn't have a hundred percent win rate against either of these decks, obviously, but it, it it was a good checkpoint between these two. And part of me worries a little bit that you know, Dromai is going to win out against Lexi and then be maybe the de facto best deck in the format, and then it's going to be some not as good as Lexi aggressive decks, but decks that can make probably decks with a weapon, something like. Know, maybe Briar that can make multiple attacks in the turn and still clean up a dragon when it needs to. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I've wandered a little bit from what your original question was, but I, you know, I, 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 I there's definitely going to be a shift in the metagame. I don't think it's just going to be like Oldham goes away. Yeah. I think o- Oldham was that checkpoint and now something else is going to have to step in and, and kind of keep Dromai in line, I think. Yeah, and and um, that leads me to my next question is there's been a lot of talk of what decks were being held back by Oldham, right? Because Oldham definitely was tough to impossible for a lot of decks. Uh, and and the, the two ones that I see kind of get brought up often are Dorinthia and Viscerai. And um, I, I do find that Viscerai, with the, the nice on-hits with like Moravian skies and stuff like that, like has pretty f- good game into Dromai if played correctly. Um, uh, where do you, do you think there were other decks that were being held back or? 
I think Dory is a good example, but um, you know, Dory's not going to play well into to draw my either. I don't yeah. think where it's just you, you know, uh, most turns you get one attack, and you don't want to be just killing a dragon with that one attack, or you're basically losing the game, right? Yeah, yeah. So it it just I I don't know. It, everyone has decks that they love and they want to see their heroes do well, but it's just not possible for all of them to be you know, top tier heroes. True. True. You're, you're very right. Now, you know, we had talked about these types of fears about Oldham kind of leaving at armory one night. Um, and Dromai is, is the one that kind of keeps up or, or are there any other fears with, with something like Oldham, not in the meta and, and kind of to add on to that question is Bravo, the, the existing guardian, a nice replacement there. Yeah, so I, I think the play patterns of Bravo, of Bravo are much better for tournament play, mm-hmm. where, yeah, you're blocking a lot, but your, your plan is still to, to attack them to win the game, and you're basically waiting for that, that good hand to pivot from defense to offense, right? And Oldham, in certain matchups, it was never waiting to pivot. It just wanted to block for the entire game, mm-hmm. and play, playing into fatigue matchups in timed rounds is just a nightmare. It's just not a fun experience for, you know, for the opponent. It's not a fun experience for the other people in the event waiting for these rounds to finish up. It's not a fun experience for the judges who have to try to adjudicate these things when it comes to time. Um, so I think in a lot of ways that, that Bravo is just, yeah, much more acceptable play pattern for tournament play. And I, I would be happy if it was a competitive deck. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I'm certainly happy that Oldham's out, and and I, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, well, Oldham's out now. My favorite deck can can have game, right? Uh, which is not really necessarily the the case, right? I, I, I'm a brute player. Brutes always had a decent of time into into Guardian, um, but like you said, the the time we got things to do. Me and you, we're happening, guys. We're, we got to get out in the town. We can't be watching these these Oldham mirrors forever, right? So I think, you know, like you said, time clearing up and tournament tournaments running well is, is, is a great point. Now, you know, you played a decent amount of Oldham. Will you miss him? And are you looking forward to the Living Legends format, which Oldham is now the fourth hero to be uh, in that? realm and i guess we're going to get some kind of announcement of what that format is going to be like soon so the, the only way i'll care about living legends is if there's meaningful tournaments that involve it mm-hmm. so like I, I could see myself potentially skipping an armory season if i didn't want to play living legends right yeah but if it was like a qualifier season because nationals or a pro tour one of the world's formats is going to be living legends and I'll jump in both feet because I'm a competitive player and, and that's what I need to do, right? Yeah. Um, um, do you think that will happen, though? I don't know. I, I was a little surprised that they made Blitz one of the formats of Worlds last year. Mm-hmm. But also, I thought it was great. Like, just just more diversity. and You know, the players have to be prepared for all these different things. I, you know... I could see them doing it at some point. Right now, I think it would be a little bit silly. Yeah. Where it's just like only four heroes. And yeah, I, I don't think that would be the most enjoyable viewing experience. 
Sure, sure. Now the question is, right, with the Living Legends format, and and the the answer is probably out there. Not it's something that obviously, if if any listener is listening to this and I'm wrong, feel free to comment how wrong I am. I just love reading that. It's my favorite thing to read is about how wrong I am. Uh, As they, they gently guide you to the right answer. Gently guide me to the right answer. Now, like, obviously we have four heroes to hit living legend. Uh, to me, I, I, I wonder if that's just four heroes are legal in that format or all heroes are legal in that format. Right. But maybe, because like maybe I think of it like legacy for for um, to relate it to magic, but I don't know. We don't know, or maybe somebody knows, and we will find out when this gets posted. Um, now we're on the cusp of a new set, Dust Till Dawn, July. Very exciting. We're gonna get Prism back. Not excited about that, uh, but we're gonna get a new um, Shadow Rune Blade Vincent. We don't know what it does. It's got a flail. That's cool. Um, do you have any predictions slash? wants from this set what do i want from the set i don't want another dragon for dromai but part of me is a little nervous that it might pop up i think so <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that's something that i don't want although the flip side of that is like the i think the expensive dragons are kind of like fun and exciting as one ofs and they don't even see play all the time in the competitive level decks yeah yeah so if, if they came out with another five or six cost dragon that did something awesome, eh, let people have their fun, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Um, what, what do I want to see? I don't know. It, it'd be nice. I, I, I think I'm like a lot of people. Where I, I just want to see the, the format shaken up a little bit. Sure. And n- not a huge upheaval, but but certain decks, you know, you mentioned Dory. If if Dorinthia was suddenly just had that that one more card that it needed to be a competitive level deck, you know, a tier one point five deck, and you know, just not quite there, but really close. Um, I I think that'd be great. It's a deck that plays from a completely different angle than almost any other deck. What you need to learn to play it is different. How you need to learn to play against it is different. And to me, that's what the, makes the game so interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and that would be fun, right? You know, I think we saw a lot of it with Azalea when Azalea got the nice buffs. People were, all of a sudden, people were like, "I don't know how to play against this because I never really ever saw it in a tournament." And everybody had to kind of adapt and learn. And and I feel like the same would be for Dorinthia, probably not as not at a larger scale like that because Dorinthia already pops up from here uh, from time to time. Uh, I think Levi would be. A great um, example of of a, a card, you know, like we've always said. Whenever we play against each other, I'm playing Leviathan. You're like, I don't know what any of these cards do, and I said, nope. Don't worry about it. They banish things and just and then have no on hits. Don't worry about it, yeah. Craig. Damn it, just block. They they have six powers. They have six powers. Sometimes seven, maybe nine if I'm lucky. Um, but yeah, I think we're all very excited for for uh, Dust Till Dawn. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, um. Craig, we have some listener questions that I got from the Buds Discord, if you're willing to answer a few of them and hang out with us. Yeah, how, how many skips do I get? Skips? <laughs> you get as many <laughs> skips as you want. You're the guest. but uh, I, I, I didn't know if there were rules. There's, there's no rules here. I've, I've, I've abandoned any semblance of a rule in this podcast a long time ago. So, But the first does come from our producer, Greg. 
Um, I guess it's more of a, cause we kind of already asked like what, what decks kind of come to the top here, but uh, he asked specifically does Azuri, which we've seen do pretty well lately. And uh, Tree Frog Dash, I guess the Control Dash, become the deck to beat. So it, Azuri is a super interesting deck to me because it's still being figured out, right? Where mm-hmm. I don't know, some of these decks, you, you think the community is so big and there's people just playing games constantly, and it still takes months and months to figure out what the right thing is to do in certain decks. And I, to me, Azuri is still one of those decks where it is adapting to the format and then it's figuring out itself the right play patterns and how aggressive or defensive it's supposed to be. So it's a super interesting deck. It it certainly hasn't proven itself to be the next thing yet. Mm-hmm. But when when I look at what the next thing might be, if if I define Dromai as, as the deck to beat, which I think it is, I want a deck that has either lots of easy attacks or just a ton of natural poppers. Yeah. And I, I think both of the decks that you listed could play just a bunch of natural poppers in them if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to detract from the game plan. Yes, exactly. Um, Tree frog dash me, that deck's been explored a good bit and it's, it's decent. It's competitive in certain metagames, but people who want to beat that are going to figure it out and have plans on how they're going to beat it. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> now, Sigma asked, uh, now for the real question, who is the better Levia champion in, uh, in our LGS? Now, I don't, I, you know, I know we have a few other Levia players from time to time, but I have to imagine I'm the only one that you really play, right? I mean, this answer is pretty easy. It's pretty obvious. It's clearly Nick Katabian. So. <laughs> I mean, Nick is Nick is pretty good. I, though he plays more Reinhardt, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Nick. Love Nick. Um, Capolo asked, hey, Craig, do you have some embarrassing stories about Tommy for us listeners? I can't imagine that you do. I'm, so... We're not super tight yet. No, we're getting yeah, there. I, I lo- love seeing you at events, but I told you I'm, I'm going to invite you and whoever you want to bring with you to to the, the annual river float that my wife and I put on. And, uh, you know, that's just so that you can bring some beer. But, <laughs> you know, I'll I'll be happy for that. the beer. <laughs> anyway, but uh, to, to answer Coppola's question here, um, you, you have that big tattoo on your your arm that i like to give you a hard time about and for the the listeners who don't know about this it is a, a giant cephalopod yeah and it's it's wearing a nautical helmet it is and i don't know what use a sea creature has for a nautical helmet it's it's listen <laughs> this octopus is 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 a, he just cares about the swag. He's all about the swag goo. He's like this nautical helmet. Some some diver may have passed on it under under the water, and 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 this octopus found it. He's like, yeah, it looks good. Why not? Let me get on top yeah, of his he, arm. Yeah, he's he's looking fresh. He's looking fresh. And uh, so so I like to give you a hard time about the, the tattoo, and then we made up backstory for this octopus. How 
he couldn't find a leather jacket with eight arms. And so then he's wearing the helmet instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, th- this, this <clears throat> octopus might make it onto a lore article on LSS at some point. And uh, uh, we're going to credit Craig for, <laughs> for the writing. <laughs> um, and our last question comes from a, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Matt DeMarco, AKA flake who asks, Craig has to select one song to sing at a karaoke bar in France with Flake and Tommy, me. Uh, what would it be, and how many margaritas did you buy? <laughs> so this is funny because I actually went out and did karaoke with Flake and a bunch of other people uh, while we were in France. My wife was there. We had an absolute ball. It was it was a great night. Um, I'm not the best singer. That's all right. But... I would like to be able to sing something big and loud and aggressive, but that's not really in my range. And so if we're, if we're doing something all together, we'll make it kind of on the easier side. Okay. Um, you will sing one. One? Yes. By? One by what? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm so my. Show my young age here, Craig. <laughs> no, you know this. I do know. I, I one by who? Oh my god! Now I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah, this this is good. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. You know, we're gonna look it up live. Listen, it's my podcast. I'll do what I want. One by Metallica. No, we won't sing that one. No. <laughs> one by one by who? It's not showing up, Craig. One week by the Bare Naked Ladies. I would love to sing that That's one. That's what we'll sing. One week by Bare Naked. No, no, I'll let you off though. You too. Oh, you too. Listen, um, I would love to sing one by you two with you two, Craig and Flake. And um, I have to learn the lyrics. I guess at karaoke, you don't have to, they give them to you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is kind of the concept of karaoke. Yeah, they're very generous with the lyrics, actually, I found. Um, oh, man. Well, I can't wait for that um, because uh, we're obviously going to France soon, uh, me, you, and Flake, and I cannot wait. Um, margaritas, I don't know about the margaritas in France, but I have to imagine they're quite good. Um, but this has been a blast, Craig. I hope you had a, f- a lot of fun, and I do want to thank you for your time. And coming on, uh, I do really appreciate it. Uh, I I appreciate seeing you at Armory every week, um, and I, I I know that you mentioned we're, we uh, aren't that close yet, but I am pretty happy that we are getting closer. And I enjoy our talks. I enjoy seeing you, and I can't wait to bring beer to your to your river float party uh, this summer. And uh, it's very cool. Um, you know, we talked to, before we started the podcast. A lot of the point of the show was I wanted to make friends, make buds, and uh, I'm happy to, to call you on. And uh, it's, it's, it's very cool. And uh, I had a lot of fun today. Dude, I appreciate it so much. I had a great time. I'm glad I could be on. And, you know, I'm glad you're doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I'm doing it, too. And I'm glad to get to talk to people like you. Uh, do you have anything to plug? I, I know you've run into some issues with, with Twitter lately. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give a little background. So my Twitter account got hacked. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
you know, I, I was like all concerned. And so I immediately made another Twitter account just to see what was happening with my real Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I overlapped the email addresses on these. So when I contacted Twitter, they were like, hey, you, you need to change the email address on the one and then we can restore the other one. And <laughs> then that account also got hacked. <laughs> and I've sent, mm, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 emails and, and you know, tickets to Twitter. And they always respond with something that maybe I can't do. I'm not sure. <laughs> no one actually reads what I write to them. Yeah. And then they, clo- they close out the ticket the next day. <laughs> it's, it's like awesome. And so I have since just stopped using Twitter altogether. It's fair. And like my life is actually, I don't know, maybe just a little bit easier since I don't have Twitter to doom scroll through every day. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Craig, my life's gotten a lot better ever since I got two extra Twitter accounts to, to play. Around with. <laughs> is that what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you shouldn't have told me your, your first dog's name. Uh, I, I got to say, but, uh, um, but yeah, do, is there anything else you want to plug uh, or, or, or are you just, Craig's living off the grid except for, for uh, random appearances on Fresh and Buds. And Dude, like if, if people want to follow my, my public Facebook account that never, ever makes a post ever, they can do that. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, um, you know, I, I just, I, it's not, there was a time in my life where it would have been important to me to like have these, these ways of, talking to people right Mm -hmm. the community at large and now it's just like no i have a few close friends that i talk to and if no one else ever talks to me again i'm okay with that (laughs) well i'm I'm glad you came on a podcast that's going to be listened to by by uh millions just just dozens of people dozens and dozens and dozens um a few a few good people uh but hey listen uh yeah find craig at his home address and that's the best place to find him. no don't do that please nobody uh, but it will be in the show notes uh you can continue to find me at fresh buds pod on twitter mine is still i still have access to uh check out the buds discord give the old like comment subscribe to the youtube patreon all that fun stuff really appreciate it now craig I'd like to end the show talking about food Shout out some food, some local cuisine, some 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 stuff you really enjoy, some stuff you think people need to know about. All right, so our favorite place right now is probably Ani Ramen. Okay. Um, it's it's a chain. There's probably five of them in North Jersey. Okay. And they're just small ramen joints. They're usually quite busy because they're they're on the smaller side as far as restaurants go, and the ramen is delicious. You can get almost anything. Uh, as far as the ramens go, and you're going to enjoy it. They also have some of the best wings that I've ever had. So wings. go there, enjoy the wings, get some delicious ramen. Sounds like that's where I'm going after the next Armory. Or maybe before, because Armory usually goes late. But everybody, have a good week. Mm-hmm.